you say? I said, fear and love open the doors. Two doors, two lodges. Fear opens one, the black, love the other. Was that? I don't know exactly, it just came to me. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to a damn fine podcast, the podcast that for a short period of time will still be revisiting and reanalyzing the show Twin Peaks. But in a mere 10 days from the point of the posting of this show, we will be able to watch brand new spanking new episodes of Twin Peaks. I'm Tom Merritt. And of course, with me is Ron Richards. I literally don't know what I'm more excited about to finish talking about season two or to watch season three, because while I'll I be love honest. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know either. You know, like I, as soon as I was done watching the episode that we're going to talk about today, yeah. I wanted to go watch the finale episode right away because it's it's just it's, it's all well, speeding up towards the end. Well, yeah, and 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 they all t- when when it originally aired, they aired back to back, and yeah, I had that same yeah. feeling. But personally, for me at least, I was just saying this to my girlfriend the other day. Um, it's similar to when I did Goodfellas Minute. While I love that movie. By the 140th minute, I was real tired of the song Rags to Riches by Tony Bennett, which is our theme song. <laughs> and so while I love, sure, Twin, I love sure. Twin Peaks with every fiber of my being, I love doing this podcast with you and all of our great guests. It, season two was very long. And so I'm looking forward Maybe to it. Maybe that's part of my excitement <laughs> yeah. is that we're, we're finally into that, that good, solid finish now. Yeah. Uh, and as part of that uh, good, solid finish, we're bringing back uh, some of our favorite guests uh, for these last few episodes. And today, France seen the lucid dream from the pink room burlesque in new york city is back and it's perfect francine because it's the miss twin peaks episode hello fellas thanks for having me back yeah i'm excited about this episode <laughs> so so for those who aren't aware of, of the pink room and and the great shows that you guys put on you actually hold a miss twin peak show every year yes right? so yes tell, we have us, an tell an- us about that <laughs> We have an annual Miss Twin Peaks pageant, which we hold at Joe's Pub in New York City, and it's our biggest show of the year, and it's always just filled with excitement. Um, uh, we get all the top acts in town, uh, and as you can imagine, we have lots of Twin Peaks burlesque acts now after we've been doing this for yeah. uh, mm-hmm. over six years. Uh, so yeah, it's always really fun. Um, it's very silly, as this episode is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> do you do um, the okay. umbrella dance and everything? Oh my goodness! Yeah, in fact, I was just rewatching the episode and taking notice of of all their moves. Yeah, we 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 change it a little bit. We we uh-huh. add a little uh, more burlesque elements to it, but it, yeah, it's pretty much the same. <laughs> but so so the the big question is: Has David Lander ever showed up at all? Because that would be amazing. <laughs> Who's Mister Pinkle? Oh yeah! yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! No, I would love it. I he he's still uh, squiggy to me. Yes, oh, he's, he's the best. He's well, the best. well, if David Lander's out there listening, or anyone who knows David Lander, you know, put him in touch with Francine. <laughs> Please, he's always invited. Sure. So I didn't get to see the the latest Miss Twin Peaks show, but I got to see you guys perform uh, in New York City a couple of weeks ago. It's got to be getting exciting leading up to season three, right? Everybody at the show was pumped for season three. It was it was one of those like every now and then the MC would say Twin Peaks next month, right? which just had everybody screaming. So right, the, so are you seeing more attendance to the shows now that the show's oh. coming back? Oh my goodness! Yeah, people are really getting fired up um, about the show on TV, of course. Um, but people have been coming out to the shows in in full force. Um, I think I think we're also as audience members, but also uh, the cast members are really excited because we're we're starting to realize like this these are the last shows that we're going to be doing before the new season, which means you know there could be new acts, there could be yeah. changes in our acts, there could be yeah. new additions to things. Like the storyline continues. Uh, so who knows what's going to happen, you know, to Nadine Hurley, like there might be another yeah. element <laughs> to my act next year. So even fewer um, eyes, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, you never know. <laughs> uh, well, as we are speeding up towards the end, uh, it turns out that back in the first year of airing, uh, there was a little pickup in viewership toward the end, Ron. Yes, there was. Yeah. So the episode that we're talking about, as we mentioned, was missed, is, is titled Miss Twin Peaks. Um, and it originally aired on June 10th, 1991. Uh, and this was uh, the last two episodes of Twin Peaks that aired back to back on the same night on Monday, June 10th, 1991. And to set the stage for everybody, and I don't know if we can all remember back to 1991, uh, the last episode, episode 20, aired on April 18th. So you had nearly two months of waiting 
for the season series finale of Twin Peaks. So try to picture yourself waiting two months in between episodes to st- to see what would have happened at Miss Twin Peaks. <laughs> That's um, brutal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But so 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 with all, I'm sure it was hyped and promoted, and with that came a little little pickup in ratings. And this episode actually got 10.4 million viewers. And despite the interest in Twin Peaks finishing, it still came in dead last in its time nice. slot. Uh, so now we, we've moved to Monday night. So we're on Monday, June 10th, 1991. Uh, number one in the ratings was a repeat of Murphy Brown on CBS. With, <laughs> really? Yes, with 16.6 oh million. Um, that's just that's hard. that's like almost insulting. Oh yeah, a little bit. <laughs> that a repeat. Not not that Murphy Brown was a bad show. No, no, but it was a repeat. And then the uh, then it came in. Uh, what came in second was a movie on NBC called Original Sin. And then coming in last was Twin Peaks with 10.4 million. So it's mm. swan song. Uh, and so even though uh, episode uh, 20 and tw- uh, episode 21 and 22, the last two episodes of the season aired back to back, we're just going to do one at a time. So this episode is just on episode 21, Miss Twin yeah. Peaks. Um, and now, does that rating apply to both, though? It does. It does. So who okay. knows what the drop off was or whatnot? Yeah. But yeah. Um, but yeah, this was this was this episode was written by Barry Pullman and directed by Tim Hunter. Two names that we absolutely remember. They both. They, I think they both did three or four episodes each in terms of writing and directing and these are their last episodes on Twin Peaks and uh, before we get into it I find it really interesting that Mark Foster David Lynch had no hand in this episode other than producing it um, and I think I thought Barry Pullman and Tim Hunter did a very good job of picking up the the feel and the tone of a Frost Lynch kind of uh, episode. Yeah, definitely. I, I wonder how much Lynch and Frost, knowing that this would lead into the finale, gave them instructions about things but in the end the execution was theirs. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Well, uh, let's get into the cabin because that's where we start this episode with Leo chained up, uh, Major Briggs asleep, Leo reaching uh, to try to get the keys to his shackles. And there's a long shot of him looking at Shelly's card and he ends up not being able to unlock his own shackles, but does unlock Major Briggs and asks him to save Shelly. And then we get a fade to black and uh, Earl returning, uh, blanched and bloodshot. He has been somewhere crazy, holding up a bag uh, and tells Leo he's not going to punish him. He has a new game for him and waves that canvas bag in his face. And I'm, I'm, I feel bad for Leo because he's, you know, clearly whatever's happened to him, but he still cares about Shelly. Yeah. And Earl's mouth looked a little oily to me. Well, that's the, that's the question. Yeah. Where did Windermere, Where was Windermere mm. when he? Where is he coming back from, and why does he look like this? Yeah, and that's something that's never been answered. That's something I've never entirely been able to figure out. Um, it's a little. It's creepy. It's a little reminiscent of the the makeup uh, that we see done in um, Firewalk with Me. Yeah. Um, it's different, but it, it kind of reminds me of that. In, in any case, it's very creepy. Yeah, he's. <laughs> He's been to the lodge, is my guess, but yeah, we never know for sure. Yeah, that was my guess was that he he was, was if you remember last episode ended with with the shot in the woods with the little pool um, and where Bob pulled himself out of the lodge. And my guess is that's where he was. He found that spot. And if you remember that pool of whatever it was, whether it was water or oil or whatever it might be, was surrounded by some white sand kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. if he if he found that spot and just got his face in it, you know, and 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 just did the, you know, just kind of, you know, kind of tried to absorb as much as he could, and you know, without. So if he found the location, but the door wasn't open, maybe. Right. You know. Who knows? Right, because there's something magical just about that area. Because if we see in, in later episodes, you know, once you're in the ring, like there's something that happens. Yeah. Um. So yeah, who knows? But it's it's pretty pretty it's, creepy. It's, hor- it's horrifying, <laughs> no matter what. Even if yeah. they never, even if that isn't the explanation, and who knows what it is, it, it is right. Windermere Island is scariest. I think. So. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we move along to the diner, uh, which is heaven for me because it is full of pies. Norma is bringing pies for the Miss Twin Peaks pageant, uh, right? And she uh, expects Shelly or Annie to win. And, of course, uh, we find out it's the 20th anniversary of Norma's big win, which I believe is the first Miss Twin Peaks contest. Yes. Yes, that's right. Yep. So then that makes me wonder, so then, so if Norma won it at 18, so she's 38, how old is Annie? I, I can't help but start doing all the math. 
You know? uh-huh. <laughs> like, right. So like how her, Annie is her sister, but Annie's clearly like in her early 20s, maybe, right? So I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out the, their, their lineage. Maybe I'm thinking about it. Too yeah. Much. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I also wonder, you know, given like we, we get to meet uh, Norma's Norma and Annie's mother in a previous yeah. episode. I mean, it sounds like, you know, maybe she had relationships with other people. Maybe she had sure. Annie with a different guy, even who knows? Like, it seems like her relationships don't last very long. So that could, that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. But it's, it's yeah. nice to know that Norma Norma was a previous winner. And that kind of explains why she's also a judge. So, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And it, it's kind of it's it's kind of putting the connection together yeah. uh, for her appearance later. Uh, we then move to Great Northern uh, Ben's office where Audrey is sitting maudlin by the fire. Uh, and and Ben comes in with uh, books from all the religions. Uh, he's got the the Tao Te Ching. He's got the the Torah. He's got the, you know, the Christian Bible. Uh, and he's trying to find the answers to being good, and of course she's still distracted uh, by Jack leaving. Uh, they they sort of talk like he's dead uh, for a while, and Audrey's afraid she'll never see him again. Um, and then we move on to finding a little bit more about Audrey's trip to Seattle, where for some reason she had to go to Seattle to find out that the Packards had been using a savings and loan <laughs> to funnel cash, uh, definitely dating the episode. Uh, the bank wants to avoid publicity, so she thinks that might be a lever uh, and Ben brings up Miss Twin Peaks again, uh, trying to get Audrey to enter, to give a speech. Audrey doesn't want to do it, uh, but but Ben really pushes her, says it's the ultimate forum, uh, <laughs> even though Audrey dismisses it as just being the town bathing beauty. <laughs> Is it the ultimate forum, really? The ultimate forum. <laughs> well, he, he, I mean, in this little town, you probably I suppose, is. yeah. I mean, yeah. but he's always looking for the business opportunity, anything he can do to <laughs> right. convince, sway people. In fact, I mean, he's he's using his uh, business uh, charms, I guess, to, to sway her. It's so funny when he comes up behind her and is whispering in her ear. <laughs> yeah. I, I do I do like him him coming in with all the books and the way he's holding them with like a stack of books in each hand and the, the, you know Ben's commitment to being good and he's gonna study all like every religion to find the angle and and as it, like it's fascinating then tying with his you know pressuring of Audrey to you know give the speech that he's he's attacking his desire to be good with the same gusto that he does his business. I love that he's looking for goodness or morality through books. It's like, you know, uh, he, he didn't he didn't learn this through, you know, human relationships in his life. It'd be like the modern day of like, I'm going to Google it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like well, you, yeah. It gives us a little behind the scenes look at the way Ben thinks, which yeah. is like have problem. Go collect all the information to solve it. Uh, exactly. We know he was ruthless before. Now he's ruthless in his pursuit of being good. <laughs> Indeed. Then we move on to the sheriff's office where Andy is staring at uh, the chalkboard, uh, the glyph drawing. Uh, Truman and Cooper are are talking along, uh, says they're still looking for Major Briggs. Cooper starts talking about Wyndham Earl and the Black Lodge and Josie's death. Of course, Earl listening in on the plant, as we know. Uh, Josie's death caused by fear is, is what Cooper says. Uh, Cooper saw Bob, posits that Bob is attracted to fear and thinks Bob comes from the Black Lodge, which, come on, we all we all put that together too, Cooper. Uh, and, of course, he thinks that that explains that evil in the woods uh, that has been talked about, and they need to find their way into the lodges before Earl does. This sure is a season series wrapping up talk. You know, it is, I, isn't I, it? I, yeah. I bet this explains that that darkness in the woods you told me about in the beginning of the ser- series, and like it just. Hey, <laughs> everyone who's forgotten all the other episodes because it's been so long since we were on the air. Here's the scoop. Yeah, they're definitely throwing a lot of things in here. Where like previous episodes have that like kind of like moody language, slow feel to it, and th- this episode is just like, here you go. There's a lot of stuff we have to like catch people up on. But it turns out one person didn't know all this, uh, and that's mm-hmm. Wyndham Earl, who we cut back to <laughs> Earl's cabin, and he's like, Eureka, fear! I never would have suspected. Fear is the key. Uh, and then he gives an eloquent speech, or rant, depending on how you look at it, uh, about how it's perfect and victory is at hand, and he knows where the entrance is when the lock appears, and now he's got the key, and he's off to get his queen, and he hasn't been this excited since he punctured Caroline's aorta. Uh, then Earl expresses a little winsome uh, fondness uh, for Leo uh, and says, you know, he's, he's going to miss him. 
but Leo's fate is in his own hands, or rather his mouth. Uh, he's holding a string in his mouth with a whole big Rube Goldberg connection to a cage full of tarantulas. <laughs> which, I mean, I don't know what you guys thought, but I expected something a little worse. I know spider is horrible, right? You don't want to be covered with spiders, but they're in a cage, and it's not quite obvious that they would break out of the cage. And also tarantulas don't actually bite, usually. Uh, they're not necessarily venomous, so it's just more for the the fear factor element of it, yeah. I guess. But this was 1991. Did people even know that? I yeah. mean, you couldn't even look that up online to find. I certainly I mean, did. Tarantulas are just like. This, I was like, that's awful. Yeah. They're yeah, they're just creepy. They're they're it's such a visceral thing when you see them. You're just like, ooh, I don't want that on me. Yeah, d- dating back to the uh, tarantula on the Brady Bunch episode when they were in Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember being horrified by that. So it picks up on that. And I, I took I took away from this that it was like a cage of tarantulas that if Leo let go of the string that would drop on his head, right? And then the tarantulas and break would be, open. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if it would break open. Like I, I guess for some reason I thought the cage was going to drop down on Leo's head and then he'd be trapped. The tarantulas would just attack oh, there's his no face. bottom in the cage. Yeah, is yeah, that, exactly. Okay. Which then makes Got you it. wonder why the tarantulas aren't falling on don't Leo. Just drop down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I'm sure it's more complicated <laughs> than that. But um. But uh, the Wyndham Earl's little dance around fear and uh, fear being his favorite emotional state, you know, and, and just like the figuring it out. I think this all played together really, really nicely and ratchets up the tension of like now we're on a race, you know, like it's a race to get right. to the Black Lodge, you know, and and, yeah, yeah. and Earl Earl has Earl knows something that Cooper doesn't know. Cooper knew something that he didn't know. And it's just that that kind of thing. And then it just punctu- uh, punctuates or punctures by uh, the, the reminiscing of Caroline's aorta, which just made me blanch because I was like, oh, poor Caroline. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we go to the roadhouse next for our first glimpse behind the scenes of Miss Twin Peaks. Uh, Mr. Pinkle is choreographing the contestants being a little lewd, definitely being a diva. Uh, and in the background, Mayor Norma and Dick are all discussing the judging. A worker with an oddly placed deer <laughs> walks by. Um, uh, that is one of my favorite moments in Twin Peaks. I mean, that's up there with like the llama that walks through yes. Cooper it, and Harry's scene it, in a previous episode. It, it um, really, it really is. It's a combination of the guy walking by who looks kind of like Gomer Pyle in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Like he's got, you know. But then it's Dick's reaction too. Like it was one of the few times where I liked Dick because Dick kind of watches it goes and then makes a face and dismisses it, and it was very, it was perfect. So. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> There's uh, so many wonderful little quirky things in this. Like, I don't know if you noticed, like, uh, Donna and Shelly during the rehearsal, they're just, they're smoking cigarettes on stage yep. while they're <laughs> rehearsing. And this is something I did not notice the first few watches. They put a basket with a sandwich in front of the girls dancing. Do you, did you guys notice that? No, oh, I did stage. not notice that. Yeah, there's a basket with a sandwich. I don't know if that's there to, like, like entice the ladies <laughs> oh, like, like hey if you work really hard maybe sandwich. you'll get this sandwich oh geez that's just awful. <laughs> i have no idea yeah that's it, is, it but is that's funny. why i love watching twin Peaks. i've watched this show dozens and dozens of times every single time i won't watch it i notice something new yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And it's funny because I totally noticed Donna and Shelly just goofing off throughout the entire thing. Yeah. And and the other thing that we noticed both here in the rehearsal as well as in the dance number later on, um, despite showing up to give the speech, Audrey is in none of this. Right. Right. Like right. She's, uh, she's, yeah. she's skipping the, the, the practice run yeah. for sure. Well, and I, I think the other thing that's that's odd is and, and it stands out more every time I see it. So this time I really feel like I noticed like every cast member is not doing the dance very well either they're totally (laughs) goofing off or they're just you know like lucy is trying but she's just not as good and then you can tell who the actual pro dancers are that are the the extras filling in the scene because they're all amazing so and i also want to i want to point out let's remember although in twin peaks time this is barely a month since laura has died right so not a lot of time has passed but lucy 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 is pregnant so i just want to remember not that she not that a pregnant woman can't dance and can't whatever but like just say Later on, let's remember that. (laughs) Yeah, accelerated, uh, accelerated pregnancy. Uh, Norma, by the way, says she's going to work up the score sheets, which one would have thought they would have figured out before the day of. But okay, fine. Uh, I just picture picture Norma at the mimeograph machine at the high school. All right, right. I'll run over to the high school real quick. Uh, And then, of course, we get the fulfillment of the plan of the mayor and Lana, as Lana asks uh, Dick to help her find something in the storage room, and and we get a little uh, comedic lights on, lights off having trouble, just flick it, did I do that? By George, I think you've got it, string of lines. Delivered much better than I just did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this, this is just, I mean, it's it's a little a little more on the nose innuendo. Yeah. 
I don't, did Francine, as a professional, does that count as any kind of burlesque? <laughs> I don't think it does, oh, does it? I mean, there's the, this that style of humor, yes. If you, in, in those terms, yes, it's a kind of burlesque. Um, but that's why we love this episode so much, and that's why it's yeah. perfect for the Mr. and Peaks pageant, our show. Uh, and we we have we have a uh, Lana in our show. We we've, we've done that bit before <laughs> with oh, nice. the Dark Lord. That's great. Uh, on to the Great Northern, and uh, we're in Cooper's room. Uh, Cooper is talking to Diane. Has concluded his second meditation. Uh, talks of the importance of of beating. Wyndham Earl talks about the Black Lodge. It's classic Cooper. He starts talking about Annie and how he feels about her. And then there's a knock on the door. Uh, he opens it again without his gun. Annie arrives. Uh, thankfully, it was Annie. He didn't need his gun. Uh, and she wants help with her speech. And so they start talking about the forest and then kissing uh, and then go to bed uh, because <laughs> that's going to help inspire her speech, I guess. Yeah, this was this. Uh, it's funny. It was nice to see him talking to Diane again and getting personal. Um, and then you know the the a knock at his door, and once again he just opens the door with no gun, no hesitancy. Like how many times, Cooper, do you need to open that door and forget that you were shot once? But um, uh, but I, I I the him and Annie's kind of flirty talk that leads to them uh, making out on the bed uh, was it got got a, got a little a little just just enough nauseating. Well, this may be the sexiest we've seen Agent Cooper, right? It is. It's pretty sexy. Wait, was it all the talk about uh, trees? Her, her forest? Yeah, her forest <laughs> and trees. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, I, I, do, I do think it's funny that, that, that she needs help with her speech, and they're talking about it, and, then they, and then as they're making out, I'm like, you know, this speech isn't going to write itself here, Cooper. Let's yeah, right. You know, it's like the day of. The day of. She still hasn't written it, and they're getting yeah. very distracted. This is like being in high school and going to study with someone on a pretense. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Also noticed his tag is up. Uh, yes. on his shirt. That, that's one thing that bothers me in this. Scene, it bothers but, me every you know. time too. I'm so glad to hear you say that. <laughs> I didn't notice that. All right. <laughs> I just want to reach out and go put that down. Uh, all right. We're off to the uh, the Hurley's the Hurley's house where uh, Nadine is showing slides of her wrestling matches to Ed, yeah. Norma, Doctor Jacoby, and Mike. Uh, Jacoby wants them to all talk about their feelings about the divorce. Oh, he stops himself from saying divorce. He means breaking up. Uh, Nadine talks about how she feels guilty because she's so happy and she's afraid Ed might be sad. Uh, Ed says he and Norma want to get married, and Nadine says that's wonderful and shouts that she and Mike are also getting married and grabs Mike's hand and uh, crushes it, basically. I think it's lovely that they start off a group therapy session with a slideshow. <laughs> it's just of all the like, wrestling wins. Right, I mean, yeah, like, like the context <laughs> of the wrestling wins is just, yeah. It's <laughs> it implies like, I mean, that it just, Nadine has hijacked this therapy session somehow. Yeah, and it's like clear, like it's obvious that like, she doesn't really know why they're there. She's just like, oh, I have an audience. Here's an opportunity to show off. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And, and, and it's funny because now this, I feel like this is the third, maybe fourth conversation we've had with Nadine about them breaking up. Yeah. Like, and like, it's always, it's like they're really, they really love to do the like, let's talk about our feelings. Let's show that Nadine says she's resolved, but give evidence that maybe she isn't, that the real Nadine is lurking under there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm still curious about Dr. Jacoby's like method of uh, therapy yeah. where it's just like his, to just go along with her delusions. Like everyone has to support her delusions. I don't know mm -hmm. if that's like a traditional method and. In psychology, so. but probably yeah, not. We, we yeah. talked about it. We talked about it several times, especially <laughs> this season, especially with Ben Horn and the Civil War and things like that. Is that Doctor right. Jac Doctor Jacoby really likes to run with the patients? He really I'm likes not to. Sure. <laughs> I mean, if you look at it from certified. like an like an imp improviser standpoint, it's like the whole yes and. It's just like mm -hmm. you you don't negate anything. Like let's yeah. just go with this. We're gonna yeah. run with it. It definitely makes for a better show. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Doctor Doctor Jacoby doesn't prescribe to tough love. Let's just say this. Like he's right. very forgiving. <laughs> So, all right. That's yeah. Although I, you know, like you say, we've seen this same scene a few times, yep. and this scene isn't tying into Miss Twin Peaks or the finale, really. Uh, so, in a way, I feel like this scene is mostly unnecessary because it's 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 not showing anything that's going to inform Norma later on. Nadine doesn't play in later on, except that she's competing in Miss Twin Peaks. Uh, so, th this scene is one of the few in this episode that just kind of 
floats out there on its it own. It just reminds us that it's still happening. And I don't know if, I mean, like, and, and the thing is, is that, like, a lot of these weird kind of plot points that we see in the last four episodes, one has to wonder how much is set up for season three that never happened. You know, yeah. and so I would imagine, you know, I'd have to imagine that there's a larger, you know, like, or, or you think that there's a larger, like, they're, they're still bringing this up to remind you it's still going for a reason. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it builds up tension, and especially in their, in, obviously in their relationships mm-hmm. in that little, like, Hurley world. Uh, but, like, when she squeezes his hand, it's just like, I mean, you don't know what's going to happen. You think she's going to kill someone. That's where, it, I, in my mind, that's where it's leading up to. Yeah. She's yeah. going to either kill Mike or Big Ed or Norma or everyone. Uh, yeah. or maybe even and herself. She's got the power to do all <laughs> He's climbing out of the forest. Uh, he, is, he doesn't know where he is or who he is. And uh, luckily, at that point, Hawk is driving along and uh, picks him up. Uh, and all we get from, from Major Briggs is the line, which way to the castle? <laughs> oh, poor Major Briggs. Good, 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 good timing on Hawk. Good job, Hawk. Yeah, right, right place, uh, so right time, all the time. Not, not much to say about this scene except that okay, Briggs got away. Hawk picked him up, so we're on the way there yeah. to the sheriff's office where Briggs is in the blanket recovering. Uh, Cooper and Truman are there trying to ask him some questions. Uh, Cooper smells him and says he is shot full of haloperidol. So there's the answer, Ron. Yep. It was haloperidol, and I like how uh, Cooper can smell it on him. Oh yeah, he's good. Weird. Yeah, <laughs> um, we get some good good lines from Briggs in this too, like Garland, odd name, Judy Garland, uh, <laughs> and then you know rambles about Earl. He was God, I suppose. The King of Romania was unable to obtain. This is, I want to make all of these into ringtones, basically. Um, <laughs> so Andy wanders in to stare at the blackboard again. Uh, Cooper talks about a point in time of the door to the Black Lodge. Uh, that they need to figure out Truman. He's like, we, we've we've got to find the right time. Andy asks if the 4-H club has anything to do with the glyph, and uh, they tell him that it's doubtful. So a couple of things. First, on, on Major Briggs, all of his mumbling is the haloperidol influence, but it all tracks back to what's happening, right? In that he, you know, he's trying to get to the castle, Right. Mm-hmm. And and that's where that's, I guess, the sheriff's office. And the the king of Romania was unable, you know, the king of Romania is Cooper. Like he's mm-hmm. trying and and, 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 uh, and this is all tracking to the king and the cards, the playing cards on the wall at Windermore's ca- oh, right. yeah, cabin yeah. with the queens and all this sort of stuff. Everything, everything Garland is saying is the haloperidol influence jumbled language to warn Cooper of what's happening, but they're just, they don't, they don't know that. So they don't know what's going on, but it's, it's good decoding. It's major Briggs trying to warn them and help them, you know, um, which is just tragic, you know, uh, because he, he can't communicate it. Um, but, and then my other thing is that like at one point, I think it was earlier in the scene or this scene or whatever, they refer to Andy and the ma- Andy looking at the chalkboard. And I think Cooper asked Truman if he's figured it out yet. Did they ever establish why Andy would be staring at this? Would be the one to figure. You know what I mean? Like, does Andy know puzzles? Well, in or, the first you know? the first scene that Andy's staring at it, they make mention to like he just keeps staring at that thing. I don't know yeah. why. So I don't, yeah. I don't think we're supposed to know why. I think right. Andy just started acting unusual. Right. Yeah. I mean, ever Andy is like always being underestimated. There's, yeah. you know, he's he's been the source of like finding out things. He's found Leo Johnson's shoes. You know, he discovers this in the end. Um, so I think it's a, it's a fun running gag to be like, oh, the kind of dopey yeah, <laughs> guy, you know, let's oh. Just, oh, he's just being funny, you know, like people ignore him and don't take him that seriously until all of a sudden he Gets figures important. out he something major. Yeah. And, and that, and that's where I have my bone to pick with him, which we'll get to later, which is he, he mm-hmm. could be, he could be a little more assertive than his job, but we'll, yeah, seriously, we'll, we'll yeah, get come on. yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, quick stop over at the Martells to check in on the metal box. Uh, Andy, uh, who apparently carries a gun in his sweater and shoots it open. And, uh, inside is a key. And, in me, instead of immediately trying to figure out where the key is, we get a face-off between Catherine and Andrew over who might steal the key from themselves, so they put it in a cake stand. Because <laughs> that's secure. So weird. It's so, well, no one will ever take it from they, like, the cake stand. Yeah. So they were able to shoot through the metal, but it didn't damage the key at all. Right, yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> good point. Yeah, it just, it just blew open a hole, but the key is totally fine, right? And right. And, and, and uh, at least they showed holes in the counter where Andrew shot it at as right. well, too. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. And why is Andrew Packard an old man carrying a gun? 
like, like I get, I get that he's old. Tr- he's old school. Yeah, yeah. Old, you got you know. You goes don't, that, Ron. That, you need it for bears. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Part, that part of the country. It's not a, not. It's only a half a joke. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> All right, then we go over to the Haywards uh, to check in on Donna's ennui. Uh, she's dressed for the contest, and and Doc and Eileen are too. Doc's in a tux, uh, um, Mom Hayward in a robe. <laughs> Donna wants the truth about Ben Horn, and she figures as they're about to leave for the contest is the best time to press for it. She's tired of being talked to like a child, she says childishly. Uh, and Eileen says to just trust her, but Donna says fine, she'll just find out from Ben. Yep, yeah, this is just really bad soap opera. Like, why can't her mother just say something? Like, it's, they just sit, both, both Doc Hayward and Mrs. Hayward sit there looking like deer in headlights doing nothing. And if this plot line carried on into a season three, I might care more about it. Right. Uh, but but knowing, you know, knowing we've only got one more episode left, it feels like, gosh, there's so many other important things we need to wrap up. Uh, at this point, so yeah, a lot of things start feeling rushed, but uh, yeah, this yeah. is a fascinating one that I wish they had more time to develop. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's how I feel about it too. On to the sheriff's station, Andy's still looking at the chalkboard. Uh, Cooper finds something in a book that the four and the H that Andy noticed are astrological symbols. So we get part one of two of Andy being extremely helpful. Uh, in this case, somewhat unintentionally, he was just he was just pointing out something and it led to a Cooper revelation. Uh, the astrological symbols are Jupiter and Saturn in conjunction. Uh, Cooper says that the significance is explosive, uh, that the door to the lodge is open, and Cooper thinks that the glyph will somehow tell them where. Uh, then Briggs starts to to mutter fear and love open the doors. How does the queen, uh, Cooper thinking on queen says, aha, it's miss twin peaks. But then he ignores Andy. Uh, Andy goes on and knocks over the bonsai to reveal the bug, uh, while yelling agent Cooper, uh, but everybody ignores Andy, and this is where Ron gets starts uh-huh. to get frustrated with him. So, well, well, I mean, and again, this is nice. This is very convenient for Cooper to figure out the Jupiter and Saturn kind of stuff, like to have this aha moment, like, and it, ha- it all happens very quickly, almost as if we need to have this happen before the episode ends. Um, but, um, but again, you got Major Briggs, you know, like not even talking gibberish. Fear and love open the doors. That's literally yeah. what happens to the lodges. Like that's it, and 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 pointing out the queen and giving him the hint that he needs. I, I think this this scene is is fine. Yeah. <laughs> it, it does what it needs to do. Um, it, it only just it, you know it makes sure that we know that Andy still has something to say. Uh, we get that comedic effort of Cooper and Truman thanking Andy for the revelation, but not pausing long enough to hear what else he has this to say. They're still underestimating him. They're, they're, too, they're uh, too caught up in their own world. Yeah. Right. So we head back to the roadhouse, and and this is our last scene. As our last location, anyway, we're going to be at the roadhouse from here on out. But whoa, does a lot happen? Oh yeah, uh, starting with a dance number with umbrellas uh, <laughs> and big hair, and, uh, and a scene of Mister Pinkle trying to hug the log lady and being pushed away, uh, and then Doc Hayward comes out as the MC, uh, and we see Lucy doing her own dance number. Bobby is backstage for some reason, I guess, to help Shelley, uh, and notices a second log lady but of course as we probably all figured out pretty quickly that's not the log lady that's Wyndham Earl and Earl knocks out Bobby uh and uh I I happen to notice that the dance floor tile that they're dancing on is the same as the tile in my kitchen which was built in the 40s so oh, all right, I'm not sure what that means there you go uh, Truman and Cooper arrive they're pulling deputies all over the place to protect they're going to surround the place uh, Lana comes out to dance her contortionistic <laughs> jazz exotica <laughs> Uh, Andy is there and he's, he's trying to find Cooper, but of course, as soon as Lana starts dancing, all the men get mesmerized. Uh, and then we, we do a wipe to Audrey's speech about the forests. Uh, and then as, as this is all just kind of an enjoyable, like watching parts of the show and, and cutting through it very quickly and seeing some interesting things, we cut to Donna and Ben backstage. Uh, Donna confronting Ben, says Ben is her father uh, and walks away. Uh, ben says everyone should get together and talk about it, but this isn't the time or place. Uh, and 
and she runs and Donna runs off. So we actually don't get hit to hear Ben admit anything. No, not at all. And 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 yeah, like he he definitely avoids. I thought Ben was good saying, you know, this really isn't the time and place for this. And then just yeah. Donna Donna finally saying what we all are assuming, you're my father, and then runs away. Like yeah. just like, Ben gets to say, Your mother and I and that's it. That, that, that's all we get out of them. Uh, cut to Annie's speech uh, where she gives an impassioned speech about the forests. Told you she was inspired. Uh, even Dick Tremaine seems pretty taken by the speech. We get a shot of Wyndham Earl crawling up in the lights. We know he's up to no good. Uh, Doc Hayward announces that the balloting will begin. Uh, Cooper is worried. Of course, Lana is pissed. The mayor is outraged. Dick uh, was supposed to vote for Lana, but Dick was taken uh, by Annie's speech. And then, of course, the lights go out. We get strobes. We get smoke. We get explosions. We get screams. We get Nadine hit by a sandbag. Uh, Doc Hayward finally grabs Annie. I feel like that took way too long for for everyone knowing what was going on and the queen <laughs> being the target. Somebody should have got to her faster. But Doc starts to take her off stage. And then Cooper sees Wyndham Earl dressed up as the logs la- log lady. But Earl starts setting off charges uh, conveniently placed to stop Cooper. Earl then grabs Annie away and says, I will help you and put something over her mouth, uh, probably some kind of chloroform. Lights come on. Truman says he won't get a half mile. And Andy finally is able to talk to Cooper and says that the glyph on the chalkboard, it's a map. Finally, Andy. <laughs> finally. Wow, that that is is there any scene in this entire run of the show where so much happens in one spot? Oh, like it's, that, it's it's breakneck. It's, yeah. it's massive. It's like literally like the last twenty minutes of the episode, right? I mean, like it's so much going on. Um, we only have fourteen scenes in this right. in this episode, and we're usually close to twenty, if not over. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. So much to cut through. All right, so where do, where where do we start here? So, uh, uh, Francine, uh, yeah. I imagine Lana's uh, jazz exotica oh, yeah. dance and outfit is a lot of great fuel for burlesque. Eh? Oh, absolutely. I love that. It's basically a burlesque act with obviously it was like network. So not the full strip tease here, but basically they reference burlesque without actually saying the word. Um, But yeah, that's the straight up burlesque act or the beginning of one. And it's perfect. And we have a Foxy Vermouth does an incredible Lana act at at our Miss Twin Peaks pageant. Um, She hasn't won yet, but I, I, I. presume that she will one of these days um (laughs) but yeah it's it's incredible i love that lana just gets out there and is working on the audience she's not holding back i mean she's doing it's obviously a type of dance (laughs) um but yeah i i think to the audiences probably back in uh in the early 90s where you know i don't think burlesque had had its full comeback yet so mm-hmm. people were probably like what is this this yeah. maybe maybe older generations recognized it as you know kind of a showgirl thing but i think it's hilarious when i first saw it i was just like this is so weird <laughs> but yeah it's perfect i mean this is total inspiration for our show of course yeah. uh not not so much lucy's pregnant split dance uh which <laughs> Which again, she was pregnant, and the woman did a split. I know. Good, good job. She just did split. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> hey, I don't know how pregnant she is. She's obviously not very pregnant. She's not showing yet, but uh, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's why yeah, it was important to note that this is this we've we've seen a month of these people's lives. So she's not even though we were we were reminded that she's pregnant. She's she's not like you know far along. So yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to know how Annie, like how okay. If Lana is the mayor's wife or girlfriend, right? They're not married yet, sure. but girlfriend, right? And Lucy was somewhat in, tied to Dick in some way. And Annie is Norma's sister. How are these mm-hmm. judges at all impartial? <laughs> not at all. It's the worst panel of judges possible. It really is. Uh, by any objective stance. <laughs> Unless you're trying to tell an interesting story with lots of conflicts, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, but then finally, the the when Wyndham Earl makes his move, uh, you know, bravo to you know, bravo to Barry Pullman and Tim Hunter again. This is what I was saying going back. This this felt like a lynch scene. The strobe light, the yeah. chaos, you know, like all that sort of stuff. It really felt you know like scary and and what what is he going to do to Annie and and uh, and how he quickly you know how much you know even though he's lurking around in a ridiculous log lady costume how much control Wyndham Merle had on the on the whole scene as it was you know like he he was prepared clearly yeah for sure and and this this scene also works great and in fact it's almost too bad that they ran the episodes back to back because it really does leave you just hungering 
to go to the next episode in a way that that most episodes did not yeah. uh, because it cuts you off like where is Annie where are they going we know how to get to the everybody knows how to get to the Black Lodge Andy finishes the episode by saying it's a map uh, so it's that race to the Black Lodge is on well both lodges is on uh, and and we know that Wyndham has the prize he has Annie and of course Cooper already motivated to chase after Earl is now extra motivated uh, to save Annie so you know man there's there's nothing to do at the end of this episode that just, just rushed watch the into next the one. next episode yeah, right it was, it was good, the good thing that they aired back to back but for us it's like ah yeah <laughs> um, now one thing i want to apologize for i said that nadine's scene earlier really didn't uh, point to anything but i i take it back a little bit nadine getting hit by the sandbag certainly oh, yeah. could yeah. if you know when you're watching through it the first time you may not realize well hold on you know that's going to jar her brain is yeah. that going to change nadine yeah right that could that could be good have a point, and I think the biggest mystery of the entire Roadhouse Miss Twin Peaks scene is what what was Bobby doing there? I mean, I guess he was there for Shelly. I guess he was like coaching right. Shelly. And, and right? did yeah, Mr. I mean, Pinkle uh, chase the log lady out of the Roadhouse entirely, or why did she disappear? That's a good question. <laughs> yeah, or did they did they decide to go home together? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think she's pretty loyal to her log, but uh, yeah. you never know. Or did Wyndham Earl do something to get her out of the way? Because he was clearly just he's dressed up as her. So I did like the the the, the detail that Wyndham Earl's log was not as round as the log lady's right. log. It was just a, yeah. it was like a, a, cu- a wedge of wood that was cut. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you he's noticed a, that. Obviously, yeah, yeah, obviously a newbie. Yeah, at so. picking logs. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, let's move on to our notes uh, for Diane, uh, and uh, this is where we just note other things that may not be perfectly relevant to the storyline of the plot, but we thought interesting or significant in some other way. And uh, we'll start with you, Ron. What, what did you notice? Yeah, well, I, I mean, my, the the biggest thing I noticed was in the Miss Twin Peaks uh, dance number in the opening. We talked about, and Francine, you talked about. You guys had 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 done this in your show, and the girls, the, all the girls are wearing raincoats and. With umbrellas and this kind of thing, I realized that all the women on stage are wrapped in plastic. Yep, I'm glad you wow. noticed that too. <laughs> yep, um, I I was well aware of that um, from pr- previous mm-hmm. views of this show. Obviously, in preparation for our Miss Twin Peaks pageant, yep. um, there's another thing that I noticed this time. And again, one of the reasons I love the show and watch being able to watch it and notice new things. I perhaps I'm reading too much into this, but I noticed their final pose. If you look at the positioning of their arms, it's a little bit reminiscent of the owl ca- uh, cave symbol. Oh, I might like be really Kimbo reading into this that sort of thing. But, yeah. I, but I was like, why are they posed that way? Because uh-huh. just just from a, like a choreography standpoint, I'm like, I wouldn't. I like if I was do- choreographing a group number, I wouldn't probably wouldn't have the girls stand that way with like Lucy's arms like kind of pointing down in the front. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I looked at it, the overall shape, and obviously it's not a perfect allocate symbol. That would be nearly impossible to do. But I was like, it it's reminiscent of that. So there's definitely something in there that where they're trying to allude to that. So <laughs> sometimes so their arms details. bend back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Um, That's so really go, interesting. Go back, yeah. Rewatch it. Tell me if you see that. Maybe I, maybe I'm going a little mm-hmm. far out there, but no, I'll, I'll, I'll I believe it. Yeah, I'll, I'll take That's that. Cool. So, yeah. yeah. So. Uh, but the, the only thing I wanted to, to add to the notes uh, is that the first time that I watched this in the 90s, uh, Ben's collection really stuck out in my mind. And then the second time through I was watching it when I lived in Austin, Texas, uh, a couple of years later. I actually, after watching this episode, I was working at Half Price Books, a uh, used bookstore at the time. I went and I bought all of those books and I still have them to this day. Like I, I was like, that's a great thing to have in, in a collection is just a copy of of all these, you know, historical religious texts. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very cool. The the, yeah. the, the must reads of, of 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 religion. Yeah, yeah, the, the the complete Ben Horn library of yeah, religion. Exactly. <laughs> um, I, I, the only other thing that I noticed is going back to Major Briggs when he when he's mumbling when they first they they, they got him back to the station and he's as you mentioned Tom earlier he said you know Garland what a strange name Judy Garland and just continuing David the the Wizard of Oz connections. Yeah. So mm. yeah, yep, absolutely. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on down to the Roadhouse. Uh, not for our own Miss Twin Peaks. We'll let Francine take that, uh, take care of that for us off off the show. But here we get feedback from you guys at feedback at damnfinepodcast.com. Jared wrote in, said, I'm a big fan of Twin Peaks, but I very wildly on my thoughts about the second season. Through my different viewings, I've loved it, hated it, 
or been kind of ambivalent, just depending. I remember the first time through, I had no disappointment with the later stuff, probably because I was so hungry for answers. Wondering, have you two and three always had such a hard time with the second season? Do you remember liking it more previously or was it always a pretty negative opinion? I have this theory that all the behind the scenes stuff us fans know taints our view of the latter part of the series. Do you think that might be true? Good question. Mm. I don't know. Francine, where do you net out on season two? I mean, I mean you imagine you watched it a lot, right? I know season two is flawed, but I love it. I absolutely love it. I especially adore the Nadine storyline in season two, as absurd as it is. But it just it brings this like absurd, quirky comedy that I think uh was attempted in shows like On the Air. Um uh, Mark Frost and David Lynch's follow-up yep. show. Um, in that case, I, I mean, on the air was was really interesting, but it was just it was too much humor, too much. Like this was balanced with all the darkness and like the deeper storyline of like Cooper and and Laura, um, which I think just kind of brought everything back home. But no, I love the quirky stuff. I love the weird stuff, even when it's flawed. Um, I find it so entertaining and I'm totally aware that's flawed because I think like the first season of Twin Peaks is like nearly a perfect show. Um, And then it kind of goes a little Ari um, in the second season, but it's great. It's entertaining. And of course, like if you're going to, you're going to watch things like, especially this show the way I do you're going to watch it a few times you're maybe going to watch it a few dozen times if you're as obsessed with it as we are Um, so you're going to notice stuff and like realize it's flawed also watching something that came out over 25 years ago is you're going to notice things like uh, particularly in this episode uh, the Mr. Twin Peaks pageant noticing the uh, it goes back to it it kind of breaks away from like that 1950s schoolgirl mm-hmm. kind of vibe. All of a sudden, we see like the 80s hair, like the gowns that feel very like 1980s. Um, so it just breaks away from that, which maybe feels a little bit jarring when you're watching yeah. it now. No, I think that's a really good point. I definitely notice more of those date which part which qualities are dated and which aren't. Uh, as, as, as time goes on and I watched it more, but I was like, Jared, the first time through watching this, I, I loved season two and I, and it probably was because I was just hungry to find out what would happen next. Kind of knowing that you're not going to get as many answers does change your perception. So I've, I've generally slowed down in my enthusiasm of rewatches in season two, this, this watch, because we've been focused so much for prepping for the show, Ron, I feel like. I have a more precise appreciation for season two of which parts in particular I don't like and which parts were actually still very good throughout. Yeah. Well, it's funny because it's like I've been trying to reminisce and remember how I felt in 1991. And like, it's funny because as we're going into this, you know, like June 1991, um, you know, like I, I was just finishing eighth grade. I was about to go into high school. There was just a lot going on in my life. Beverly Hills 90210 started, right? That is, and that really took away a lot of my attention from Twin Peaks at the time because they were on at the same time. Um, you know, but as I've, as I've revisited it in my older years, I've definitely – and I've said it before on the show, in my rewatches, a lot of times I wouldn't finish season two just because I get so frustrated mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. But in, in this exercise of revisiting the show, I, I've really found myself liking season two more than I historically have said I liked it. But I feel like the highs are high and the lows are low. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm even I'm even more magnified in my awareness of that fact. The and highs like, are high and the lows are James. Yeah, exactly. And and that's what it boils down to is, is that is that the first third of the series, when you're still dealing with the Laura Palmer mystery and Leland and Bob and all that sort of stuff, is as good as it gets. And this I've really been enjoying this latter half once the Wyndham Earl stuff clicked in and once Annie came on and, and like you know, the last, you know, handful of episodes. But it's that middle piece that is just like to me is like a splash of cold water uh, it, it, right in the middle of it that that is has been hard to recover from so <laughs> well thank you jared for uh commenting uh everybody can comment on this episode at damnfinepodcast.com or feedback at damnfinepodcast.com uh and thank you francine for coming back and, and talking with us again this has been so much fun Thank you so much for having me. This is always a pleasure. Well, as you say, so last time we had you on, we talked a little bit about, we found out about the Pink Room Burlesque, but you're doing, you've done much other things David Lynch related, like the David Lynch movie and things like that. Why don't you tell us about that? Yes, um, that's one of the things that um, we'll actually be releasing 
I think today at the time of the release of this podcast. Um, so we um, we created a. It's taken from. The song, also called the David Lynch movie, that Schaefer the Dark Lord, our regular Pink Room host, um, wrote and recorded. Um, so for the longest time, we wanted to do a music video uh, for him and the song. And when we started shooting it, you know, we got all these different ideas. We wanted to make lots of Lynchian references. And we basically shot so much that we had so much footage, it went well beyond the length of a three and a half minute music video. So it turned into a 20 minute short film, which has uh, been able to, it's screened at, uh, premiered at the Coney Island Film Festival and since then has gone to a show in Toronto, uh, the Montana Festival, which is the Flathead um, International Cinema Fest, uh, Queer Initiative here in New York City, uh, Cosmic Film Festival, all over the place. So it's been screening at a bunch of film festivals, which is great. And uh, I believe as of today, I hope you don't have to re-edit this, but uh, I think we're going to release a shorter version online. Uh, which will just be the music video. So it's not the full 20-minute short film, but it'll be the music video that people will get to see, finally. Great. Cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll post it on the, this episode page. So if people want to go to damnfinepodcast.com on this episode, we'll, have, we'll, we'll embed the video so people can check it out. That'll, that'll be fun. So awesome. Great. Awesome. Cool. cool. Well, thank you, Francie. It's always great to hear from you. And, and, and uh, so excited for season three. I'm sure we'll have you back on for season three. Right, Tom? Oh, please. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to see Twin Peaks, which is, uh, as you said, 10 days. 10 days 10 away. Days. 10 oh, days my away. goodness. 10 days. Crazy. <laughs> hey, in fact, uh, folks, if, if, if in 10 days you want to get hyped before the, the new episodes drop, uh, you want to join us on our live stream. We're going to have a live stream preview where we'll talk uh, about a, a whole bunch of different Twin Peaks stuff leading up to the point in time, the last minutes of history in which we don't know what happens in the third season of Twin Peaks. Uh, and if you want to find that live stream to join us on May 21st, just become a patron at patreon.com slash damn podcast. You'll get that. Uh, you'll get some early access to some of the first episodes about season three, and you'll get a chance uh, to join our Slack where you can discuss Twin Peaks with other fans. So check that out. Patreon.com slash damn podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter, damn cast on Facebook at facebook.com slash damn podcast. Thanks, folks, for listening. Tune in next time for Season 2, Episode 22. It is also called Episode 29. It is the 30th episode of Twin Peaks, if you count the pilot. And the Germans called it Beyond Life and Death. Uh, Thanks for joining us, Francine. Thanks so much for having me. I'm Tom. And I'm Ron. 